Well, please grab a seat. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Glad that you are here with us. Um, I've told this story before, but Val and I had what can only be described as a whirlwind romance. Let me tell you about it a little bit. When we, uh, first of all, we met in uh, Bible college. Some people know it as bridal college. Ring by spring or your money back is the, is the, the uh, slogan that some people say. We met uh, in the, my last year, actually her last year as well. We had been at the same school for at least a year. And we, it was interesting. We, we had the same friends. So her friends were also my friends, but we had never met. Uh, we met in the middle of August and uh, for, for the very first time because we were both there early for this leadership thing that we were both in involved with. And um, I was like, that girl is kind of cute. <laughs> and that girl is kind of cool. And in very short order, within just a couple of weeks, we went on a couple of dates. And then um, in a really awkward way, I asked her to be my girlfriend. I'll tell you about that some other time. It was pretty awkward. I'm pretty embarrassed by it still. So we started dating after just a couple of weeks. Then just a couple of months later, that next January, um, I proposed to her. And she said, yes, which is the craziest part of the whole thing. And then by the next August, within about a year of the first time we had met, we got married. And I was thinking this past week that, you know, it's, it's interesting because with a whirlwind-type romance like that, there was a very high probability that one of us, either me or her, was going to end up married to a complete train wreck. And if we're honest, there have been times where we have both thought exactly that. <laughs> you know what? Even those first number of years were actually really hard in, in many ways, really good in many ways, but really hard in many ways. And I was thinking back on it this week, and I was thinking, how is it that two people who are both bull moose, like we just, we're both strong-willed, and when we fight, it's like two bull moose going right at it. How is it that, that two people that had the deck stacked against them so significantly, significantly could end up with what I would say is a really, really good marriage? Would you say the same thing? I'm so glad. <laughs> How is it that friends of ours who we know and love, who didn't have the deck apparently stacked against them in the same way, how is it that they didn't make it and we did? As I was thinking about it this week and chewing on what the book of Proverbs has to say about the wisdom of who we have around us, the company that we keep, those that we surround ourselves with. As, as I was thinking about it this week, I was thinking, oh my goodness, isn't it so interesting how, how even though we had the deck stacked against us in many ways, we were able to embody and live out much of the wisdom that Proverbs talks about with regards to those who you surround yourself with. And if that sounds like I'm bragging, I'm really, really not because it has little to do with us and it has much to do with those who are wise, who are outside of us, who are speaking wisdom into our situation. We're in this series through the book of Proverbs. Proverbs is really interesting to try and teach through because the, the main part of Proverbs, the big section in the middle of Proverbs is just the smattering, apparent, uh, apparent smattering of all apparently disconnected little Proverbs, two or three line nuggets of wisdom that don't really seem to flow one from the other. They're just kind of there. So what we did is we went through and we categorized them all. And in this series, what we are doing is slotting and, and, and looking at what Proverbs has to say, the wisdom of what it has to say about all these different areas. And this morning, we are talking about what, uh, about the wisdom that Proverbs has for us about the type of people that we surround ourselves with. 
Now, we're not going to get to it all, which is why it's so important for you guys to be reading Proverbs for yourself. The, 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 the main thing is not just for me to spoon feed you all this. You guys need to be reading this for yourself and, and ingesting the wisdom from Proverbs for yourselves, but we're going to hit some of the high points. Are you ready to, you ready to jump in? You ready to jump through the text? Okay, we're got, we've got four high points that we need to hit with regard to uh, the wisdom that Proverbs has about the type of people that we surround yourself with. Here Here's point number one. Point number one is don't surround yourself with fools. Don't surround yourself with fools. Now, when you see uh, uh, words underlined in our titles here, that's because in the sermon notes, if you're a sermon note, uh, type take a uh, sermon note taking type of person those are the blanks that you're going to want to fill in um, what does it mean that that don't surround yourself with fools listen they might be good looking they might be well off they might be a whole lot of fun they might have been part of your life for a long long time don't surround yourself with fools. Let's see what the text says. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 5 says, The plans of the righteous are just, but the advice of the wicked is deceitful. Don't surround yourself with those people. 12:15. The way of the fools seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. 12:26. The righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. 13:20. Walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. And then 22, verses 24 and 25, do not make friends with a hot-tempered person. Do not associate with one easily angered, or you may learn their ways and get yourself ensnared. Listen, it matters who your friends are. It matters who you surround yourself with. And the reason it matters is because both wisdom and folly are contagious. Both wisdom and folly rub off. And we need to be those who surround ourselves with those who are wise. Don't surround yourself with fools. Let's, let's say that. Just make sure. I, this is the decaf crowd. I can see it in your eyes. Say that with me. Don't surround yourself with fools. Very good. That's point number one. You ready for point number two? Let's do this. Here's point number two. Be careful who you entrust yourself to. Be careful who you entrust yourself to. Be careful whose power you put yourself under. Be careful of that. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 15. Whoever puts up security for a stranger will surely suffer, but whoever refuses to shake hands and pledge is safe. 17, verse 18. No one who has sense shakes hands and pledge and puts up security for a neighbor. 18 verse 24, one who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Now, that verse could have gone in the previous section. That could have gone with point number one, but here's why we're sticking it here in point number two. The, the, um, uh, um, be careful who you connect yourself to. Do not connect yourself to those who are unreliable. Okay, connect yourself to those who are wise, those who are reliable. In 26 verse 6, interesting text. Sending a message by the hands of a fool is like cutting off one's feet or drinking poison. Do you get the point? 
the point is that a wise person doesn't put themselves in a position where a foolish person can, can undo them. Where a foolish person, uh, a wise person doesn't put themselves in the power of a foolish person. So if you want to make uh, you know, surety or if you want to co-sign for a neighbor so that he can get a boat, that's fine. Just be prepared that the repo man is going to come and tow your truck away when this guy doesn't, you know, when he defaults on his, on his thing. And if you're fine with that, then that's great. But we got to understand this. Be careful who you entrust yourself to. Okay, so point number one. Don't surround yourself with what? What was it? Fools. Point number two, be careful who you, what? Entrust yourself to. Here's point number three, be careful who you attach yourself to. Because not all relationships are relationships where there's like an entrusting kind of factor. We need to be careful who we attach ourselves to. Now, the book of Proverbs is written primarily to young men. That doesn't mean that, every, that, that the wisdom is only applicable to young men, but it's written primarily to young men. And because of that, Proverbs talks a lot about choosing a wife and the type of wife that someone could choose. But what we're going to see Proverbs say, especially when it talks about wives, is it's, yes, it is about wives, but no, it's not just about wives. And listen, as a pastor, I have seen a lot of husbands who characterize some of what we are going to see uh, Proverbs say about wives. And it's not even just those type of, uh, like, you know, matrimonial relationships. We're talking about being really, really thick, good friends. We're talking about maybe business partnerships. We're talking about maybe being an employer or employee. So let's see, we need to be careful who we attach ourselves to. Let's look at verse, uh, chapter 16, verse 28. It says, a perverse person stirs up conflict. A gossip separates close friends. So in other words, if you're going to attach yourself to a perverse person who stirs up conflict, just be aware that they are going to separate you and your close friends. Okay, 17, verse 9. Whoever would foster love covers over an offense, but whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. Who are you attaching yourself to? Someone who's constantly bringing up the past, never extending forgiveness, never letting something go, always bringing this up? 18 verse 22. He who finds a wife finds what is good and receives favor from the Lord. Now, I threw this in here because it, there is an idea floating in the culture, and maybe even we get the idea as we're walking through this that, oh, we, like, maybe if, if this is so bad, maybe I just won't get married. No, 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 not at all. Whoever finds a wife finds a good thing. Marriage is a blessing from the Lord. 19 verse 13. A foolish child is a father's ruin, and a quarrelsome wife is like the constant dripping of a leaky roof. 21 verse 9, better to live on a corner of a roof than to share a house with a quarrelsome wife. 21 verse 19, better to live in a desert 
than with a quarrelsome and nagging wife. 25 verse 24, just to make sure, uh, just in case you missed it the first time in verse 21, better to live on the corner of a roof than to share a house with a quarrelsome wife. Same one, they just put it in there twice. They want to make sure you get it. 27 verse 15 and 16, a quarrelsome wife is like the dripping of a leaky roof in a rainstorm. Restraining her is like restraining the wind or grasping oil with the hand. You ever tried to hold oil in your hand? You ever tried to hold it real tight? That's what a living with a quarrelsome wife or I would say even a quarrelsome husband is like. Friends, it does not matter how hot with two T's she is. If she is quarrelsome, it's not going to go well for you. It doesn't matter how handsome and well-built and uh, well-put-together and uh, well-off he is. If he's the type of guy that you can't say no to, if he's the guy that just you can't change his mind about anything, he's always going to have his way, it is not going to go well. Don't surround yourself with those type of people. And listen, the point here is twofold. Number one, be careful who you surround yourself with. Number two, don't be that type of person that a wise person doesn't surround, want to surround themselves with. Don't be that type of person. I've been a pastor long enough and I've walked with people through enough difficult times that I know it's always the other person who's quarrelsome. It's always the other person. I have yet to come across someone who comes into my office and says, it's me, I'm the problem, it's me, like that T-Sizzle song, right? Like, no one does that. It's always the other person. But just watch, if you come into a room and the first thing the other person does is make a beeline for their wood shop or make a beeline for their crafting room or immediately put their headphones on or immediately turn the TV up, it may be that you are that quarrelsome person. Be careful who you surround yourself with and let's not be that type of person that wise people don't want to be around. And that can be hard to hear. And it requires us looking at our hearts. Because I get it. It's always the other person's fault. (laughs) But let's not be that kind of people. Okay, so point number one, don't surround yourself with, who was it again? Fools, good. Point number two, be careful who you entrust yourself to. Point number three, be careful who you attach yourself to. Here's point number four. Don't scorn wise friends. Say that with me. Don't scorn wise friends. The lie that we have believed is that a friend is someone who always supports you and who always encourages you. That's a lie. It's like Proverbs says in, I'll throw it up on the screen for you, Proverbs chapter uh, 27, verse 17. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Do you know what happens when you sharpen a knife? Do you know why after you sharpen a knife, there's that gray stuff that's left over? Because what you're doing when you're sharpening a knife is you're actually 
removing material from the blade. And when you remove enough material at the right angle, that renews the edge and makes the edge of the knife sharp. Do you think it's fun for a knife to be sharpened? It's not. In order for us to sharpen each other like two pieces of metal, it's not always going to be fun. Or like the next um, proverb that we're going to bring up, I, <clears throat> I had written down in my notes that this is the most important proverb in the, the entire book. I, I want to um, change that. I, th I think the most important proverb in the entire book of Proverbs is where Proverbs start, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But I think this is the second most important proverb, certainly for our culture. Here it is. You ready? Proverbs 27, verse 6. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but it's an enemy that multiplies kisses. When we insist in surrounding ourselves only with people who are going to multiply kisses, only with people who are going to do nothing but pump our tires, they're not our friends. They are our enemies. The reason we can say they are our enemies is because they are perfectly fine with you becoming a monster, which is what always happens to people who have no one who can say no to them. When there is no one in someone's life who loves them enough to, to provide the wounds of a friend, that person always becomes a monster. And I know, I know exactly what you're thinking. Many of you are thinking, what he is talking about is terrible. What he is talking about is abuse. I know, some of you are thinking that. Because the, 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 the wisdom from the culture says, no, no, you have to be encouraging. You have to be lifting up. When you're parenting, you can only encourage. You can't ever provide wounds in discipline. <clears throat> when you're in, in your marriage, you can't ever provide wounds in your friend relationships. You can't ever provide wounds. No, it's always got to be encouraging. And that wisdom from the world flies directly in the face of what the scripture says, and we need to decide who are we going to listen to, the wisdom of the world or the wisdom from God, <clears throat> the wisdom from above that says wounds from a friend can be trusted, an enemy multiplies kisses. Now, obviously, am I talking about... Um, <clears throat> People that are just wounding willy-nilly. No, of course not. What I'm saying is someone who loves you at the right time, in the right way, saying the right thing, even if it hurts. I know for sure that when Val says something to me that hurts, I know for sure that she is not saying it just to wound me. Why do I know that? Because she's not my enemy. I know that when she says something that hurts, even if it doesn't end up being right, I need to listen to it because she loves me and it's for my good. If she was the type of person who only ever multiplied kisses, she would be my enemy. Although now I'm saying it. Can we try that? I like the multiplying smooches will be fine. I know it just got super awkward in here for everybody. That's what it requires. Having a happening marriage requires making people feel, feel awkward at some point. 
I was listening to a podcast <clears throat> recently. I have no idea if what this guy was saying was right, but what he was saying is that, uh, this is going to come back eventually, track with me for a minute. What he was saying is that um, the CIA in the States can listen in on all the conversations that are happening in even the highest levels of the Chinese Communist Party. And they said that this guy was saying that one of the interesting things is that he is predicting that, the, that, that China is not going to be a major player on the world stage for much longer. And the reason is because, um, uh, the, the, is it the, the premier, president, prime minister, whoever it is at the top of the Chinese Communist Party doesn't have anyone in his life who will say no to him. The only people that he has surrounding him are those who multiply kisses. And so it's a guarantee that it's not going to be something that lasts unless he is able to get people around him who have permission to give the wounds of a friend. He doesn't have that. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. There's one last thing that we need to talk about. Jesus died and rose again. And since that is true, how does that impact the important stuff that we have been talking about already this morning? Since Jesus died and rose again, how does that impact what we have going on? Well, since Jesus died and rose again, that changes the math entirely. Here's what I mean. Since Jesus died and rose again, we don't live just for this world. Since Jesus died and rose again, we can pour ourselves out on the sacrifice and service coming from our faith for the good of others, even those who don't deserve it, even those who are unloving, even those who are foolish. We can pour ourselves out on the sacrifice and service coming from our faith because Jesus died and rose again. When I was a kid, and I, I'm talking like, I don't know, like maybe grade four, grade five, grade six, somewhere around there, I read um, The Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit for the, the first time. Who's, who's read The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings? Okay, a number of us have. Um, I read it and immediately I was hooked, like hooked. Like I, nothing stirred my imagination like those books did. And um, uh, I, I read them and I, like, I devoured them. And, and in my like, junior high brain, I knew I could taste the edge of, of the fact that there was something bigger than just the adventure story. Like I loved the adventure story. I could just taste that there was something bigger there, but I, I couldn't enter into what it was. I, I, I couldn't, I, I just couldn't get there. Um, so I decided I'm gonna read everything that this Tolkien guy wrote. So I must have gone to the library, I'm not sure how, but I got a hold of his other writings. And it's interesting because after he re released The Hobbit and before he released The Lord of the Rings, he published a short story called Leaf by Niggle. Who's read Leaf by Niggle? No one, interesting. I devoured it and I, I kept waiting for hobbits and orcs and ents to show up and they didn't. And I read this story and I said, what is going on here? I couldn't get it at all. 
Because Leaf by Niggle is not a high fantasy story. Leaf by Niggle is about a painter. A painter named Niggle. And um, the, for, for Tolkien, um, words are important. And so Niggle, is a, he's a niggler. Do you know what I mean by that? Like he's, he's constantly distracted by things. And he's wanting to paint this amazing thing. His, his life's work, he's got this great big uh, canvas. And he's, he spends his life, um, he's got this thing in his mind. And he's trying to bring it to life on this canvas. And it's a, this tree with all these leaves. And, and Niggle is just amazing at painting leaves. Um, and, and he's got this view in his mind. And he's trying to bring it to reality, this amazing, tree with all these leaves and there's snow-capped mountains in the back and, and he keeps trying to make it happen but he keeps getting distracted by things and there's this journey coming up that he, know he knows he has to go on but he doesn't want to and so uh, sometimes he'll pack for that and then sometimes he gets lazy and doesn't work on it all and sometimes he's, he's working on this tree but, but he, he gets so hyper-focused on one leaf that he, he, he finally realizes, oh okay, there, there's, a, there's tons of leaves that I gotta paint here Niggle has a neighbor named Parrish. And uh, um, again, words are important. So Parrish actually, um, by the way, uh, if you know Tolkien, you know that Niggle is Tolkien. <laughs> and uh, Parrish represents the parish, represents the, the community. And it drives Niggle crazy because all he, he wants to do is focus in on his painting, but Parrish has all these issues, all these problems, and he's always having to go and fix Parrish's problem. One day, Parrish's wife gets, gets very sick and um, someone needs to go get the doctor and Parrish can't do it because his leg. And so uh, Niggle hops on his bike and in the rain goes to fetch the doctor. Um, turns out uh, Parrish's wife is fine, but Niggle catches pneumonia. And um, then before he's able to recover and before he's able to get this masterpiece that he's been, his life's work, before he's able to even come close to getting it done, the, uh, the porter arrives for him to go on this journey. Um, and the journey is death. And um, Tolkien is, is a Catholic, so he ends up in purgatory. It's a really weird thing. Don't worry, Tolkien's in heaven now. He, he knows better now. <laughs> but there's this really weird purgatory section. Eventually, Nagel gets to paradise. And, and he's, in, um, he's in paradise, and he comes over a hill, and there's his tree just like he's imagined it, except like, like, like greater and more grand and there's things that he had only just thought about in his mind that had never been able to get in there and there they are and there's things that he realizes that you know, he would have thought about eventually if he could have given more time to it. There's this tree, this thing that he was trying to incarnate on earth. There it is, perfect and beautiful. And in some like strange and weird, unexplained and unexplainable way, um, Parrish is actually like a part of it. There's this um, crazy verse in uh, Revelation. It's uh, Revelation chapter 14, verse 13. It's talking about the saints in heaven. And there's this line in this verse that says, their works will follow them. And that's, I think, what Tolkien's writing about in Leaf by Niggle. The Apostle Paul wrote about it, too. In Ephesians 2, he said, We are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do.
their works will follow them. And some of us, some people think, no, no, our works don't follow us, our works go before us. So some people, they come to the Lord and they're like, like, look at all the good stuff I've done. Aren't you impressed with all this good stuff that I've done? Aren't I worthy of coming to heaven because of these, my good works that go before me? That's not what it says. Some people think that their works don't matter. I've got my fire insurance. I don't need to worry about parish. I don't need to worry about pouring myself out. I, don't need, I, I can just work on my thing and not worry about anything else. No, no, no. Their works will follow them. What Tolkien was driving at is this amazing truth that because Jesus died and rose again, we can pour ourselves out on the sacrifice and service coming from our faith. And when we do, we are in this crazy way incarnating or embodying the gospel of Jesus Christ on earth. And I really do think that there's gonna be a day when what we are laboring for and trying to accomplish here on earth is going to be seen for what it is, not to our glory, but it's gonna be seen perfect and glorious for the glory of Jesus because their works will follow them. One of my favorite little lines or quotes that uh, isn't from the Bible. Most of my favorite little lines and quotes are from the Bible, obviously, not a surprise. My favorite little line or quote that doesn't come from the Bible is from a, uh, the Puritan um, uh, Nicholas von Zinzendorf, and here's what he says. I've actually got a sweater with us on it. It's, it's, uh, he said, um, preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. Preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. You see, friends, here's the thing. The way of the world is that our kids know us. Our grandkids generally know about us. Our great-grandkids are aware of us. And our great-great-grandkids probably don't know our name. Do you know the name of your great-great-grandparents? If I thought hard about it, I could probably come up with at least their last name. My great-great-grandparents' last name, maybe. It's the way of the world. We pour ourselves out not to make a name for not to make a name for ourselves but in the name of the one who will never be forgotten. the King of kings and Lord of lords. So, may we be those who preach the gospel, die, and then are forgotten. For the sake of the one who will never be forgotten, may we be those who surround ourselves with wise people, May we be those who, for the sake of the glory of the Lord, pour ourselves out 
for those that even don't deserve it on the sacrifice and service coming from our faith. May that be true of us. Father God, thank you for your great love for us. Thank you that we can pour ourselves out on the sacrifice and service coming from our faith, not because we have any great thing among us or, or about us, but because you have changed us, you have made us your handiwork in order to do good works that you prepared for us to do in advance. May we remember that our works will follow us. Help us to be those that pour ourselves out for the sake of a king and a kingdom that will never be forgotten. We pray that this week you would help us to continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to whom we give all glory, both now and forever. Amen. Amen. Thanks, friends. You're loved.